Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, please, and go to the book of James, the fifth chapter, page 1013, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats there. Interaction and singing, enthusiasm and singing is very good. I just wish I had rhythm and timing because it's either sing or clap. I can't do both. Um, James 5, um, we're coming to the end of the letter here. Uh, James has uh, been passionately writing to a group of people, a group of Christians, who were going through trials, were going through difficulty. They were scattered abroad. They were uh, run out probably by the persecution that we had read about in Acts. Um, James was most likely the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And so some of the people he's writing to were people that were in his church, most likely. And he's trying to give them encouragement. And uh, we find a kind of a, a structure for the book in chapter 1, verse 27, when he basically says, how do you want to be a Christian? Here's how you be a Christian in this, this awful world in which we live and in the, the trials and, circum- and difficulties that you find yourself. He says this, religion is this that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So he says, help the helpless. Go out, you know, go out of your way to serve the people who um, do not have advocates most time. He says, and to keep yourself unspot or unstained from the world there in chapter one, verse 27. And so as he's talked about, as he's written this letter, he's really kind of going back to these themes and and. And here, he's talking about how to not be worldly. He's, he's trying to say, look at this life in a different way. Don't look at it from a worldly perspective like other people do. And so last week, we looked at the text of, in the beginning of verse five, chapter 5. Excuse me, when he, he, he's given a warning to the rich there. And, and it, it's almost like he, for the first time in the book, he, he, he stops addressing the Christians um, uh, in, a, in a very direct way, and, and he starts directing his, his attention most likely to uh, unsaved, uh, wealthy people who were, who were oppressing people. And so, is he, it, but with the purpose that he did that is, is he turned his, his attention to address them directly. I, I don't think James really, under, really expected many of the people that he was addressing in chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 to hear or to read his letter because this was written to Christians. But he was writing that condemnation. He was writing that, uh, that uh, explanation so that the Christians reading this would find hope and they would understand what is going on. And so he talks about the, the hoarding and the, and the dishonesty and the indulgence and the oppression of the rich. And we know that the people that James was writing to were feeling that because chapter 2, verse 6, it says, but you have dishonored the poor man. He says, are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court. And so the people that are reading this, James is his main audience here, they were feeling this oppression. They were feeling the effects of the sinfulness of this world. They were feeling how bad this was, and they were feeling probably hopeless at times. And so when you come to this next, te- the, this next section that we're going to look at, verses 7 through 11 this morning, you would almost expect James to, uh, if it's a worldly philosophy, he would say, get even. He would say, fight back. That's not what he says. 
Look at verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the living God that we will look at this morning together. James's response to people going through oppression is to give them hope. And he gives them hope by reminding them that Jesus is coming back. The return of Jesus is certain. And the way that the New Testament authors, James included, writes about the return of Christ, he writes about it in a, in a, in a somewhat of a past tense, if you will, in the original language. And the reason why they do that is because it's to emphasize the fact that this event is so certain that it will, that it is so certain that it's going to happen that it can be written as completed already. Now, in English, we do the same thing sometimes. If someone asks you to do something and you want to assure them that you are going to do this, people often would say, or you could say to someone, consider it done, right? It's almost like just in your mind, this is already completed, even though you haven't already done it yet. But it's so certain, you're trying to give the certainty of the event or of the follow-through that you're going to do, that you're saying, in your mind, consider it done, put it in the past tense. And this is what James is doing here, and what other New Testament authors, when they write about the return of the Lord. Now, James, he's just finished rebuking the unbelieving rich for their hoarding and dishonesty and indulgence and their oppression, as I just mentioned. They were feeling this. The people, the believers here were feeling this. They were the ones being oppressed. And as I said, he does not advocate vengeance, but he advocates endurance and trust in a sovereign God, and he gives hope in the return of Christ. So in the midst of oppression, James offers hope here. According to James, hope comes in the anticipation and knowledge of the return of Christ. And so the question I want to raise and hopefully answer this morning is this. How should knowing that Jesus is coming back affect me today or tomorrow? How should the fact that you know that we are told that Jesus is coming back, how should that affect your life today, tomorrow, next week, next month, the rest of your life? Well, I think our text gives us two ways that this is possible for us. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. The return of Christ enables me to be patient in this life. The return of Christ enables me to be patient in this Christ, in this life. If I didn't know Jesus was coming back, it would be, I would have no hope. I would be very irritated all the time. I'd be frustrated all the time because I would have no hope that things are going to get better. But the fact that Jesus is coming back allows me to understand and believe that, that things will get better. Now, this word patient here that we see here in verse 7 and also in verse 8, we see here it's, it, it has the idea of waiting um, for something to happen. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a slight passivity that is, that is infused into this word here, whereas established is a word we're going to look at in a few minutes, has more of an active role to it. But here in this idea of, of patient, it would be like you have to wait for something to develop. You have to wait for it to come about that will be good. 
An illustration could be if you have a wound that needs to be, that needs to heal. Often we can put the bandages on it, we can keep the weight off of it, or whatever the case may be. But essentially, we have to wait for it to heal, right? We have to be patient for it to heal. And this is the idea here. He's saying, be patient because God's plan is working and he's bringing a healing balm and he's bringing this in the form of the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. So just be patient. It may be bad. You may be oppressed. You may be discouraged. You may be going through a difficult time, but be patient because he's coming back. That's what James is saying here. So I can be patient because I have hope that God hears me. First of all, because we look in chapter 5 and verse 4, it says that the cries of the harvester, those are the ones who are being defrauded by the rich. Those are the ones who were feeling the oppression. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And so I can be patient for the return of Christ because I know that God hears me. I know that he's listening to me. I know that when I cry out to him and say, God, how long, Lord? God, can I do this, Lord? When I cry out, I know that he hears me. I know that I can, if God continues to hear me, I know that he is always able to save me. Being within earshot of the only lifeguard is always a good thing. And if I know that my God hears me, I know that he is never too far to help me. He listens to me. Hearing is also another way to discuss proximity. If I'm within earshot, I'm close enough. Hear God, he's near, because he hears us. The fact that I know that he hears me reassures me that I can never be outside of his reach or care. And so I can be patient as, I, as I'm enduring this life, as I'm going through this world, just like James's audience here, and they're going through, and they're being oppressed by these people, and they're being persecuted time and time again. And we read about this all throughout the New Testament. And, 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 and if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we should just expect the persecution is going to come, that life is going to be hard. I, you know, a long time ago, I, I kind of gave up on the idea of having an easy life. Because as I look at the New Testament, as I look at people who follow Christ, I see that their lives are not always easy, but they are good. And there is patience and there is blessing there. Because God is always, he hears us and God will, will carry us through those things. He uses the illustration of the farmer and rain there. And rain is, and we'll talk about it in just a second here. Rain is always the idea here in, in this context about faithfulness and God's faithfulness. And that even though life can be difficult, even though we can go through terrible times, God will always prove his faithfulness to us. And so I can be patient. That James tells me, he says, Jeremy, you need to be patient in this life. And he says to you, insert your name there. He says, you need to be patient. And the reason why I can be patient, the reason why you can be patient if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is because you know that God hears you. Secondly, I can be patient because I have hope that God's plan is good. He says, be patient, verse 7, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives early and late rains. The farmer can be patient, as farmers often have to do. They plant the seed and they got to wait. The Gospel of Mark records the farmer putting the seed in the ground, Going to sleep, waking up, going out and seeing it growing. How it does, he doesn't really know, but that's what God's plan is. and That's what he does. One preacher I heard talk about that text called the theology of sleep. 
He says it's okay to go to sleep and just trust that God is going to do His plan. He's going to work it out. It's outside of our control. And so we can be patient because we know that God is working His plan and that His plan is always good. I mentioned before that rains are often symbolic in the Bible of God's faithfulness. We see this uh, several times in Deuteronomy and Hosea and Joel and Zechariah. We see this all throughout the New Testament. But I can be patient waiting for God to come back, and I can be patient in this world because I know he's coming back, and I know that the plan, while he is coming back or while he's delaying his coming, is good. And isn't this what James started out in chapter 1 or verse 2? He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's a plan that God is working here, and we just need to be patient and wait for it. And being patient is one of the hardest things to do. We struggle with this. I've mentioned this before. We're in a society of instant gratification, so much so that the microwave is too slow for us. A lot of teens today, they don't use email anymore. I don't know if you know that, okay? Most teens today only have email for one reason, that was to have a Facebook account. Because email's too slow. Texting, all right? Some of you are going, what's email? Okay, <laughs> all right? We live, in this, we live in this society where everything has to be fast. Everything has to be fast. Instant gratification, instant gratification. And so for, for someone to say, hey, be patient, it's almost like it's a foreign language. Have you noticed that God often tells us to wait? Have you noticed that all throughout the scriptures, we see this pattern of God saying, wait? You know, when we read the Bible, we, sometimes it's easy for us to, to think that when you turn a page, it's like the next day. Okay, so you read through Acts. And so you're like, Acts 24, this happened to Paul. Paul's before trial, he and all this stuff. Acts 25, now he goes and talks to Festus because he's before Felix in 24. And so we're like, oh, turn the page. And so this must have just happened, everything. No, between 24 and 25 of Acts is two years. So when you read the scriptures, you read that there's actually a long time there. How long did Moses spend uh, in preparation for leading the children of Israel? How long did they spend the time in the wilderness? Often God tells us, to wait and to be patient. Now, why does he do that? Because he wants us to see his plan unfold. He wants us to appreciate what he is doing. And it's his time, not our own. And so I can be patient because I hope that God's plan is good. And so just like we saw in James 1 there, that it was for our good that we're going through these things. In verse 11 here of the text that we're in today, it says, you have heard that, excuse me, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So there's blessing that comes from this. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. Have you seen the purpose of the Lord? How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so Job had a better understanding of who God was because he was patient through that. And because Job went through that, we have a better understanding of who God is. And so the plan that God has for your life, as, 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 as crummy as it may seem in the moment, understand there's a theological truth here that says that it is good for the believer. And so whatever you go through, whatever trial you go through, it is good. Often we don't see it in the moment. We're devastated in the moment. Grief isn't always bad, but we have to go back to faith. I remember when after uh, many, many months, uh, almost two years, I think it was, of uh, trying to adopt the two boys from Africa, and uh, if you go to our house around Christmas time, you'll still see ornaments with their picture on them. 
Um, I still carry a picture of them in my briefcase. Um, we had gone through so much process of this, waiting for us to be able to go. We had our visas and our passport. If you look at my older passport, I had a new one. There was a visa to Liberia, Africa. It was never used. And my visa and my passport, Nook had hers. Um, we were waiting in Africa. There was, there was two signatures that we needed. We needed the judge and the minister of health. Typically, the minister of health signed off first, then it went to the judge's desk, and then the judge signed off. We got a call at that point and, uh, to fly over there to pick the boys up. That, that was the plan. It kind of happened in reverse because the judge was actually the hardest signature to get. Well, it happened in reverse where the judge signed off, but the minister of health didn't see the paperwork yet, so I had to go back to the minister of health. So we were thinking, wow, this is awesome. We got the hardest signature first. So judge sends paperwork back to the Minister of Health, and it sits there, and it sits there, and it sits there. Then I read on the news, Liberia is ceasing all foreign adoptions. Where does that put us? Talk to the agency. Nope. You can't get the boys. To this day, I don't know what happened to them. I don't know exactly where they're at. Um, we love them, we pray for them. But going through this situation, you know, I was just praying, God, what are, you, what are you doing here? How are you preparing me for this? I got to admit that there was times in those, those days where they were very dark, and it was Anuk's faith that held me up. There was, there was times where I said, I, I just don't think maybe God ever wants us to have children. And Anuk said, I'm not ready to give up on that. We need to trust God that this plan is for good. I appreciated my wife's faith during those hours because she did this. She was patient because she had hope that God's plan was good. And I saw it too. Now, I, I can't tell you exactly all the nuances of why that experience was what we needed in that time. I, I don't know for certain. But that's almost irrelevant to me at this point because it's the theological truth carries me through those, that God's good. And if he's good, everything he does is good. And if God's sovereign, then he's in control of all things. And so nothing's outside of his control. So therefore, I just have to receive from the hand of the Lord that this is good. And maybe I'll look back in heaven and I'll see it. Maybe I'll understand it. But, you know, these people are going through tough times. You're going through tough times. The return or knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back should give us great hope. And great patience through this because it says, you know what? Even though I don't understand the nuance of this plan, I know the ultimate plan is being fulfilled where he is going to come back and set all things new and all things right. We see this all throughout the scriptures. Joseph, you know, he was sold into slavery. What did he say? He told his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. One of the ways you can see why that was good is because that famine came into to the, the area. And Joseph's brothers uh, were, were, were facing starvation at some point, and so many people were dying of starvation during that time. And what happened? Joseph, being put into the place after he was sold into slavery, went to prison, was, you know, went into the highest lands, proved you know, God was faithful to him, and, and put him in a high position. And so then he became in charge of all the food and the distributions, everything. His brothers come to him for food, and, and there's reconciliation there. But one of his brother's names was Judah. Now, Judah had a pretty important 
person in his family tree later on down the line. That's Jesus. And God's protecting the family line. Do you think Satan wasn't trying to disrupt the plan of God? Of course he was. But God was using bad situations, terrible circumstances for good because he was working his plan. We look at the scriptures and we can see that God has always done this. He has never left us or forsaken us. One of the last things that Jesus said while on earth is he says, I will be with you always. And so we need to trust that God's plan is good. Jesus' plan um, was good. It was painful, but it was good. He went to the cross and he died an unjust death. He experienced pain and suffering. It was painful. He went through terrible circumstances, but it was good. It was good for me. It was good for you. And so just because something's painful or difficult does not mean that it is not good. And that's what we equate in our minds. We say if it's bad, if it's painful, it's bad. If it's, if it hurts, then it's not good. The scriptures teach the complete opposite. That with God, it doesn't matter if it's painful or easy. It doesn't matter. All things are good if we're in Christ. That's why it's so important to be in Christ. Because then we can be patient knowing that his plan is good. One last illustration about this point, then we'll move on. Uh, Mike mentioned about Shirley Winquist, Wayne's mother. Uh, at, the, at the memorial service, uh, one of her friends shared a story and, uh, about Shirley. Um, she had a stroke a few years back. And uh, she was in the hospital, and uh, her friend went to see her, to encourage her, to cheer her up and everything. She walks in the room and finds Shirley, like, smiling and happy, and, and this is not what she was expecting when she walked in the room, her friend. And so she, she walked in, and one of the first things that Shirley says to her friend is, God gave me a stroke. Isn't that great? Now, her friend said, I didn't know how to respond. I, you know, I was trying to figure out, okay, what do you do? Okay, you know, is this, is this effects of medication? <laughs> you know, what's going on here? And so she said, can you help me understand why this is, this is good, that a stroke is good? And Shirley apparently said to her, if I didn't have the stroke, I would have never met these doctors and nurses to tell them about Jesus. God gave me this to introduce them to Jesus. I mean, who thinks like that? If you're in Christ, we should think like that. That's someone who said, God's plan's good. Even if it causes me pain, even if it disrupts my peace, it disrupts my plans, disrupts my life for a little bit, my God's good. That's a theological truth we have to get our minds around. If we doubt God's goodness, we are in for a world of frustration and a life of despair. But God is good. I'd ask myself the question, if Isaiah died, if Mia dies, my wife dies, is God good? Those are questions we need to wrestle with. And the answer is yes. Yes. Is God good that we didn't get to adopt those boys? and We lost a bunch of money, a bunch of time, and a lot of energy and emotion. Is God good in that? Yes. That was not the only adoption plan that didn't work out for us. Mia, when we adopted her, she was our ninth attempt. Some were more involved than others. Is God good? Yes. You say, well, wait a minute here. There's so many kids that need a good home and all that. And, and, and you got through the rigmarole. You got, you got you know, treated almost like a criminal. When you go through an adoption, you're, you're guilty until proven innocent, just so you know. 
Um, and, you know, I told the nook, we've been fingerprinted so many times. I told the nook, we can never do anything wrong because we are so on the grid, okay? <laughs> you know, and the nook, actually, she has a really hard fingerprints uh, uh, she's to, to fingerprint. She has very uh, 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 fine fingerprints. So I said, okay, if we do something, you're doing it because there's less of a chance of getting caught. But not that we're planning anything or anything, but is God good through all that? Yes. He's good. Some of you have gone through difficult things in your life. God good? Yes. You can be patient because you know God's plan for your life is good. You can be patient for the coming of the Lord because if his plan for you is good right now, then his plan to return is good. But this brings up a question I want to ask. This is letter C. So I can be patient, but why the delay? Anyone ever wonder, why, 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 why is it taking so long for Jesus to come back? Everyone, everyone wonder, you can raise your hand. It's okay, we're not singing. So, all right, okay, all right, <laughs> all right, put your hands down. All right, um, yeah, I've wondered that. Is it wrong to pray for Jesus to come back? No. Jane, uh, excuse me, John ends the New Testament doing that. He says, even so, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. Why is it, why the delay? Well, I think if we're going to understand this, we need to understand, first of all, that we need to be confident we are in the last days. All throughout the, the, the New Testament, we're told that we're in the last days. You say, well, wait a minute here. How can it be the last days if this was written in, you know, you got like the book of Acts, you know, these events are happening in AD 59, AD 60, a little AD 65. And if they're saying that it's the last days, you know, we're a little bit removed from AD 65, Jeremy. How can you say that we're still in the last days? What the New Testament authors mean by that when they say that we're in the last days? It means this, that there is absolutely nothing that has to happen in order for Christ to come back. I mean, there's, there's not a single event that has to happen in order to make it possible for Jesus to come back. For, for the plan to be ultimately fulfilled, there's, there's nothing else that has to happen. So we live in the last days, and we don't know how long it's going to be. But at any moment, for we live in this time of history where there is nothing that has to happen in order for Jesus to come back. And so we need to be confident of that, that, okay, this could be today, this could be tomorrow, Jesus could come back at any time. But if we're going to ask this question of why the delay, I think, I think the passage that Mike read to us earlier helps us. So hold your place here. Go over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you use one of the Bibles provided for you, it's 10,000, page 10,019. Here he's talking about the day the Lord is coming back. I'm not going to read the, the, as long as the text that Mike read for us earlier, but it was really helpful in setting this point up. People are going to scoff. People are going to say, I thought he was coming back. They're going to mock people for that. But then it's almost like Peter anticipates you know, people being frustrated by the delay of Jesus coming back. He says this in verse 8. But do not overlook this fact, this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. First of all, if we're going to understand this delay, we need to understand that God relates to time differently. We see that in verse 8 of 2 Peter 3. Time is, is different to, to, um, to God than to us. Um, and we, we experience that. If, if, if we get into a car with our children, and we say, okay, we're going to Grandma and Grandpa's, it's about seven hours away, okay? So we got some DVDs, we got some books, we got some coloring things, we got some snacks, you know, we got all this stuff. 
okay, we're in the van and we're heading out, okay, seven hours away, seven to seven hour trip. How long until the child says, oh, this happens to you too. Okay, all right. How long until they ask the question? Two minutes, all right. Seven minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe an hour, you know. It's real quick. Like, and you say, well, wait a minute here. No, I told you, I told you, you know. It's going to be a seven-hour ride. And they're like, okay. And five minutes later, are we there yet? They have no concept, right? They have no concept. Or they don't have the same concept of time that we do, right? It's the same as with God. God has a different way of looking at time, and he has a way of looking at his plan being fulfilled. And we're looking at like, oh, it needs to come back now. It needs to come back now. It needs to come back right now. But we can be patient knowing that, no, he's working his perfect plan. And if he's waiting, it's for a purpose. And that brings us to the second uh, 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 point under this here, is that in verse 9 of chapter 3 of Second Peter, we see that his purpose is different because there's an evangelistic purpose to it, is that he is waiting for the ultimate plan of every soul that he has planned out that will be saved, that is going to accept Christ, that needs to happen. And so he's waiting. He's waiting for that to happen. And when we understand, and we can get very frustrated with all life circumstances and just say, God, just come back and get me out of this. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But what we do need to understand is that there's a greater purpose at play, at, 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 in play here. He is compassionate in his, his waiting for people to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Are other people's souls worth an inconvenient life for myself? Is it worth me having to be patient for a while, knowing that he's delaying his coming so that other people will come to know him as Savior? Is it worth it? I think it is. Now, I think we still need to pray for the return of Christ, but we need to wait patiently for it because there's a greater purpose in play here. God's plan is good. and He's, he's holding off coming until it's the perfect time. We may want to get out of this life, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we should be patient because God has a greater purpose. Our second point and final point this morning is this. The return of Christ enables me to be steadfast in this life. Back in James chapter 5, we see this. It says in verse 8, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I told you before that this idea established here is a little bit more of an active word, whereas pass, uh, excuse me, patient had a little bit more of a passive uh, passivity to it, whereas this is more active. This is the idea of like a soldier preparing for battle. He's, he's getting himself ready for battle here. This is what he's saying here. Establish your hearts. So when I know that the end is, end is near, I don't have to complain. And that's what he says here. This is how it practically applies. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. Now, why does he say that? Because he knows the heart of man. He knows that when you're going through a difficult life, what is the first reaction is to start complaining to other people or to take it out on, the, on and people even who you love, right? You, get, you have a terrible life circumstance and things are going wrong and, and, and it's, it's outside of everyone's control in the household. But what happens is we turn on our wives or turn on our husbands or our kids or our parents or whatever the case may be is, is all of a sudden we start nitpicking at each other and complaining to each other and, and almost blaming one another or maybe not going as far as to blame one another but, but, but just kind of taking your frustration or I take my frustration out of the circumstance on someone else. How many times have we had to say to somebody, look, you know, go back and say, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I shouldn't have spoken 
spoken to that way. It's not you. It's just this circumstance right here. That's exactly what James is talking about here. He's saying they're going through terrible circumstances, and he says, don't complain. So when I know that the end is near, when I know that Jesus is coming back, I don't have to complain about it because I know that he's going to come and he's going to end this. At some point, whatever I'm going through is temporary. Even if it kills me, it's still temporary. Whatever I go through in this life is temporary. Knowing that, knowing that then there's something greater, having an eternal perspective saves us from all this. This is the point, this is the theological point that I think James is getting in here that we've got to get our minds around, is that we've got to stop looking at the here and now and start looking at eternity. When we start viewing forever, when we start viewing uh, this life in, in the lens of eternity, it's a lot easier to be patient. We don't have to complain because we know the end is near. We know that we will be saved from this life. And we know that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back, and we should anticipate it and pray for it. He talks about the judge standing there. Don't be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Knowing that the judge is listening influences our speech. People can say some crazy things because they think no one else is of, or no one of consequence is listening. I remember um, when I was in school and um, I was walking by the hall, and this was I was at a small uh, Christian school, and the, the elementary was down the hall, and I happened to be walking by, and the teacher was out of the room for some reason, I'm not sure why, and the whole class, the whole class, this was probably, I don't know, third grade, I think, the whole class is just sitting there chanting, we don't have a teacher, we don't have a teacher, you know, and, uh, and you know, you got to think about the wisdom of that, um, but the third graders. And so, so I remember uh, uh, just stopping and then kind of listening to some of the things that they were saying, some of the things they were talking about. They were talking about crazy stuff. Um, no one of consequence was there. I remember one time where uh, I was in a study hall, and uh, I was probably in eighth, ninth grade, and again, teacher walked out of the room, and conversation in the room turned to uh, inappropriate topics. And things were being discussed that shouldn't be discussed, and things were being said, people making fun of each other and things like that. Um, and all of a sudden, the principal barges into the room and says, I should call every one of your parents and send you home. We had the intercom on, and we heard everything you guys said. When you think no one of consequence is listening, well, there's, 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 no, there's no filter but what he's saying, James is saying, look, the judge is standing at the door here. He's coming back, and he's hearing you. Don't complain. Be thankful. Anticipate his return. Don't, don't live as if he's absent and he will never come back. And so when I know that the end is near, I don't have to complain about the circumstances. Secondly, when I know that the end is near, I can continue to obey. He says this is an example of suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. James gives us the examples of prophets speaking when no one's listening. Jeremiah preached and preached and preached. And it seemed like no one was listening. They were mocked and they were scorned. Isaiah preached and preached and, and, and um, most likely was sawn in two at the end of his life. And terrible things happened to these prophets, but they continued to preach and, and serve God. They were steadfast, and this is the example James gives us. Sometimes we are tempted to give up. We need to look up and anticipate his coming. It could be today. Jesus could come back today. Before we even finish the sermon, Jesus could come back. Do we really believe that? Or do we just say, yeah, I know the Bible teaches that, but you know what? I, I've got my 20-year plan I need to live out. 
No, he could come back today. And so when we're tempted to give up in, turn, in, in, in this world full of, of pain and suffering, we just say, forget it, I'm throwing in the towel. Understand that Jesus is coming back. And you anticipate this. So the question is, what are, we going to be, what are we going to be doing when he comes back? Are we going to be complaining about life and how bad it is? Or are we going to be obeying him? This is the choice that James gives us in this text. When I know the end is near, I can continue to obey. It helps me to do that. And finally, when I know that the end is near, I can expect great blessing. He says that they're blessed in verse 11. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The blessing of confidence, first of all, that we know that he's coming back. And we know that the battle is won and it's over. Confidence concerning the outcome of the battle is dependent on whether or not Jesus comes back. And so if I, I can live a confident life because I know that when Jesus comes back, I know that he is going to put an end to all this. I know that he is going to win the battle ultimately. He has already won it through the death and resurrection, but there's still, we're still dealing with sin's effects of this world. And when he comes back, all that's going to be done, and he's going to finalize the victory. And so I, as I'm living in the effects of this world, I, the hope that Jesus is coming back, that the battle is won, that gives me great confidence to live this life if i if i don't if i take my eyes off that and i forget that jesus is coming back and i forget that he's coming to to finalize the victory i'm going to start acting as if i've been defeated i'm going to start acting as if i'm on the losing team i'm going to start acting as if i have no hope and james here is saying no the blessings that you can receive, one of this is knowing that Jesus is coming back is that you can have confidence in this life. You can live with confidence. But then there's also the blessing of closeness. We see and experience the compassion and mercy of God through trials. Knowing that the end is near makes me look to him more often. There's actually great blessing in going through trials. Because it does cause us to look to Jesus. We're so prone, when things are going well, to stop looking at Jesus. And so there's actually a blessing of going through difficult things so that we are constantly going back to him, and then we know more about God. How many things about God and his character will we not know had we not gone through a difficult situation and had him near us and carrying us through and depending on him and saying, you're my only hope in this moment. If life was easy, we would all forget about God. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. If life was just easy, our heart is so sinful that we would just forget about God. And God says, I'm your greatest treasure. I'm the best thing that could ever happen to you. And so, yeah, we're going to have some things in your life that are going to cause you to look to me because you're not going to be satisfied with anything else. But you can be satisfied in me. So it's for your good that I'm doing this. How many times do we have to endure pain for good? You know, getting uh, blood taken. For me, that, that is painful, okay? It's not painful, it's just gross to me, okay? But you do that, why? So they can test it, and then, then you can maybe find out what's going wrong with you. My son, yesterday, he got into the ambulance, and the first thing he did was jab two needles in his legs. You know, I wasn't there when they did it, but, you know, my wife could have said, wait a minute, what are you doing? Can't you see he's in pain? He's having a rough time? Why are you sticking him with these metal objects? Well, of course, it's absurd because that extra pain actually is what helped them and saved them. 
You see, we go through life, you know, we have difficulties in life, and we focus in on the needle going in the leg, saying, what are you doing? Not knowing that it may be saving our soul because it's getting us closer to God. So this is, this is the, the, the faith that we need to have here. So let me conclude by saying these few things here. Doing God's will often leads to suffering. It's a fact of life. But here's the encouragement. It's not the end of the story. The trial you're going through is not the end of the story. If it was the end of the story, I could understand your despair. But it's not the end of the story. Jesus coming back is the end of the story. Setting all things right, that's the end of the story. So we need to be patient. God is leading by example in this area. Think about this. He, God, is enduring the sin of this world for a season as well. We are only being asked to do what God is already doing. When life's trials close in around us, we need to pray for the return and take hope that we are in a temporary situation that things will get better. He will set all things right. So we need to watch our heart, watch our fellowship, and watch for God to reveal himself. When the return seems so far away and delayed, we need to remember that God's timing is perfect and purposeful. God always works for the good of his children. And at the end, time will be like Narnia time. You remember the story, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, and Narnia, the children go. They have many great adventures. Go through the wardrobe, and they're having many great adventures. They grow old as kings and queens in the land of Narnia. And then many, many years later, they stumble upon the wardrobe again. They walk through it, they come out, and only but a moment had passed in real life. I think when we get to the end of this world, we're going to feel like we've lived long, long, and hard lives. But when Jesus comes back, it will feel like a moment. Like Jacob, working for Rachel. Only but a moment. Know that a compassionate, merciful God is listening to you and caring for you. James has taken us to the fatherly heart of God here. And the best way to experience that, I hate to say this, but it's true, is through trials. And this is what God wants us to see. So look to the sky. Anticipate the coming of the Lord. Take hope in this wonderful truth. And while you wait, enjoy being treated to understanding the character of God that he is compassionate, and he is merciful. He used the illustration of Job there, and we think, how in the world? Well, Job answers that in chapter 42 of his book. He said, I had heard of God, but now I've seen God after two trials. So be patient. See God. This is his plan for us. Father, I close now in prayer, praising your name that you, in a loving way, put us through difficult circumstances. You're never away from us. You're always near. You hear us. You're loving. You're patient. And you're delaying your coming for my good, the good of my brothers and sisters here, and for the good of the people who are yet to be saved. So we pray for them. We pray that you'd bring them to repentance. We pray that you would come in your timing and set all things right. That is our hope. May we meditate on that this week, that you truly are coming back. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.